Welcome to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety and technology share knowledge and experiences and discuss events and trends in food safety. Here's your host, Dr. Peter Teramina. Well, thanks for listening in. The podcast is starting to pick up. I've done a number of interviews in September while still maintaining consulting services and um, servicing a number of clients. And, of course, the normal, busy, day-to-day personal life activities that we all experience. So, nonetheless, it's been been good. We've gotten a number of podcast interviews completed. We'll be uh, publishing those over the next several weeks. But today's podcast is an interview with William C. Schwartz, Ph.D. Bill Schwartz retired as Chief Food Safety Officer and Director of Quality Assurance for Orville Kent Company. Uh, Bill was responsible for food safety and quality assurance for Orville Kent with manufacturing facilities in five locations across the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, Orville Kent was headquartered, is headquartered in Wheeling, Illinois, and produces refrigerated salads, side dishes, dips, dressings, salad kits, fresh-cut fruit. Uh, while there, Bill was appointed chairman of the Refrigerated Foods Association Technical Committee, where he continues to remain uh, active. He's served as chairman of the RFA Technical Committee. Uh, he's recently received the RFA president's pin for continuous service to the organization. Bill's also a former vice president, general manager of um, food safety programs for NSF International, where he was responsible for the NSF Cook and Thurber business. Uh, So he's had a long career uh, that included uh, time at NSF, where he was working on HACCP, ISO 22000, SQF, and other uh, certification, both domestically and internationally. Prior to NSF, Bill was Vice President of Tech Services for Sara Lee Branded Foods and Director of Technical Services for Butterball Turkey Company. And he was Director of Technical Service at Armour Swift Agridge prior to that. He is past president of the American Meat Science Association, and that organization honored him with the Signal Service and Meat Processing Awards. Bill participates in the online Master of Science and Food Safety program at Michigan State University. He contributes as an instructor in the course Evaluating Food Security Programs. He was an adjunct professor with Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Michigan State. And he had active roles in International HACCP Alliance, National Turkey Federation, American Meat Institute, and National Cattlemen Beef Association. He represented Orville Kent as a member of the Board of Visitors for the Food Research Institute, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Bill actively participates in several professional development groups within the International Association for Food Protection. Uh, Bill holds a doctorate in meat science from University of Nebraska, master's in meat science from Colorado State University, and a bachelor's degree in animal science and agricultural business from the University of Wisconsin-River Falls. On a personal note, uh, Bill lives with his wife, Linda, in Round Rock, Texas. His family's grown. His son, Ted, is a supervisor, Operations Information Center, 
I'm with Texas Department of Public Safety in Austin, Texas, where, ironically, I'm recording this introduction. Uh, his daughter, Liz, lives in Austin, Texas as well, and she manages her own business, get this, as a creative director and designer, uh, helping brands and packaging and social media for major food industry companies. It's fascinating. And Bill's Wisconsin farm boy from way back. That's uh, his background, which you'll hear a little bit about in the interview. And that led him to the meat industry um, back then. And as a stint, uh, he spent the time as an army food inspector as well. Um, and that set the stage for what he eventually ended up doing. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So how are you today, Bill? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for inviting me. I'm quite honored uh, and pleased to be part of your pod, podcast uh, uh, group. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. And I, I was pleased to meet you uh, about a year or two ago at the uh, Refrigerated Foods Association uh, annual meeting. Uh, you uh, certainly have been really active in that association and providing food safety knowledge and and um, insights, and, and also probably consulting in that in that field. So yes, the Refrigerated Food Association has been uh, very active over these last few years, and uh, it's just because of <laughs> the things that I've done, the places I've been, I've been able to help a lot of people uh, understand more about the processes and situations that they need to deal with in today's food safety environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's really good that you've brought to that organization and that industry a lot of knowledge that you've developed over the years, not only in your education, but also in, in your background working in mostly meat industry, but also in the produce industry and fresh prepared salads. Well, yes, uh, <laughs> it's been a good experience for me. Uh, I've done a lot, of, uh, a lot of different kinds of things. Uh, you know, growing up on, on a dairy farm, Wisconsin, milking cows, feeding pigs, gathering eggs, uh, that sort of thing uh, got me in the business to begin with, of course. Uh, but uh, it's been 40 years, uh, more than 40 years since I've been active in the, in the industry. Uh, and uh, a lot of things have happened in those 40 years, of course. Uh, uh, when I first joined the industry, we really weren't talking very much about uh, food safety because it was rather assumed that things were were, were safe. Uh, but it wasn't until the, the middle 80s when we started hearing about listeria and salmonella and a lot of other kinds of things. Uh, and uh, we, you know, prior to that, we really weren't carry much about food safety illnesses or recalls. Uh, most of the emphasis uh, microbiologically was uh, against uh, shelf life, uh, and certainly certainly not, not pathogens. Uh, but then again, uh, we started learning more about the, the, the perils of, of pathogens and uh, the, the difference, different approaches that were necessary to deal with uh, the sanitation activities uh, uh, as, as the industry as the industry evolved, um, the industry need, has learned to take responsibility. Uh, I, th- I think, at least, uh, about the food safety things and the regulatory agencies. Uh, most, from my perspective, have learned a whole lot from the industry, 
even though sadly we think that the uh, the folks at the regulatory end are uh, should be a bit smarter than they are uh, but uh, we we've learned a lot uh, uh, today the, the USDA and FDA are much more aggressive uh, in in dealing with the food safety uh, situations uh, particularly on the FDA side with the food safety modernization act Mm-hmm. Whole genome sequencing has really changed a lot of how we look at the business. Regulators can go back in history, basically, and see, oh, you know, you had this contamination a year or two ago. You still have it, so, you know, you haven't you haven't changed things that much. Yeah. The, so one of the so things is – go ahead. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say you – and I ask this a lot to uh, some of your peers who have had on, uh, who have had a long um, stint in food safety, and you've seen this change and evolution of things. Um, so I, I kind of was going to go with, uh, you know, what is, and you've kind of started to answer this, what's your perspective on, you know, the past, the present, and future of, of food safety in, in, in the U.S., but also if you want to comment on globally. Well, yeah, there, there's a whole lot more enforcement kind of activity uh, than I see. Uh, we'll have much more litigation. I think some of the trade situations that we, we're dealing with, uh, uh, particularly with the, with the international economy of, of food and how things have evolved, uh, back when I was young on, 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 on the farm, uh, we didn't have fresh produce all the time. It was seasonal kinds of things. If you wanted, to, if you if you wanted cherries, they came in a can because they were frozen, and then you went to the locker plant and bought them. Mm-hmm. Now you've got you know, fruits and vegetables uh, year round. Uh, so that part of the international economy, I think, has has changed uh, changed a lot, and we'll have more of of that. But we'll also have more transparency because there's more challenges that I think that are going on uh, with the individuals and how they see food and food production. Uh, um, many, many times we we think this locally is much better, uh, but uh, from my perspective, big business isn't bad because it's, it's what drives drives a whole lot of the of the. Uh, of the world economy uh, when it comes to food and food safety. So you, um, and I've noticed this in a lot of food safety professionals. You, you, your, your background, your upbringing was in an agricultural environment. You grew up on a farm, which I think is fantastic um, to prepare somebody for working in the food industry or in food safety and technology in general whatever their role is, government, academia, or industry. Um, so how did you, when you dealt with some of the complexity of these, these companies you work for, and you were at pretty high-level positions, you know, up as vice president of large food companies, how did you maintain that practical knowledge base and perspective in a complex environment with a lot of moving parts and a lot of complexity in food production? Well, when when you're when you grew up like we did on on the farm, you you're never really sure uh, 
what's going to happen, and uh, mm-hmm. every day is a new day. Uh, you have to deal with with what comes your way and, and set priorities. Uh, you know, everything is important, but some things are more important than others. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it was just one of those you know balancing acts that that needed to take place. And the, the good thing I as I look back is that I always had good people around me working with me uh, so that we could bounce ideas off one another, discuss how we wanted to go about uh, dealing with any particular situation, a a new product development, a new piece of equipment, uh, you know, uh, something uh, that needed to be addressed. So it was, it was, it was, it was just one of those things that you, you just, you just learned learned early on that you have to have to take care of business. Yeah, indeed. And and do you have any any incidents stand out as an interesting story of um, you know how how you had to deal with something and and food safety issue or a spoilage issue or um... well. There's there's a lot of a lot of different kinds of things that you had to deal with, and, and one of those things that that I, I guess I learned early on is that you have to kind of address the situations as as they come. In, in order to in order to be able to, to deal with situations, you you also had to be able to work well with others. Uh, and the definition that I learned of management is getting things done through other people. Uh, and that's what I said. Is that I've had I had good people that, that worked around me. So every day is a learning day. Uh, uh, you had to keep up to date. You 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 needed to uh, uh, work with those situations as they as they as they come. So you never you never really know. You had to be willing to to act when it was necessary. Uh, <laughs> One of my stories is that uh, we were having a, a, a shelf life situation in one of our plants, and so in the middle of the night, I was driving from Owen, Indiana, the Eckridge headquarters, to one of our facilities, listening to the Indiana basketball game when they won the NCAA tournament. So it's one of those situations I could have stayed home, but no, you don't do that. You have to address the situations when they happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're pretty much always on call, aren't you? Twenty four seven. Yeah. Yeah. There's that old adage that uh, it's always uh, Friday afternoon at four forty nine, four fifty, four fifty nine. There's a call about an issue. Yeah, I'm sure you've had a few of those in your time. Well, yeah, yes, uh, and you needed you needed to be willing to to do that in. I was very fortunate that uh, my wife, my my family, was was able to understand that that's what Dad does. Uh, that mm-hmm. was, that's that's uh, that's how we how we live. So I have a, a very independent wife that is able to take care of things uh, when I'm gone, and uh, that was also made it a whole lot easier for me. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I can relate. Um, so. Uh, you know, you've probably seen a lot of different, um, like over the years, you probably initially when you were working in this field had a lot of opposition from colleagues at your company, a lot of pushback, if you will. Did you see that gradually change over your career and people were more and more willing to 
acquiesce to what the food safety guy was telling them needed to happen? Well, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, particularly when you're when you're able to say, get in the facilities, work with the people. Uh, uh, one of my examples in that facility that, that was having the shelf life problem is that I'd worked with that group for I don't know six months or a year, and one of the one of the individuals came up to me and says, "I understand that you're a doctor. You got a PhD." And I said, "Yeah, why?" He said, "Well." I didn't know that. I said, "Well, you didn't need to. That that's I, I'm not I'm not here because I'm a PhD. I'm here because we got an issue to deal with." Right. So you, you needed to work with the people at their level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's great. Um, did, what do you think are the mistakes that that food companies make today? I mean, we see a lot of still we see a lot of outbreaks. We see recalls constantly for things like allergens, microbial contamination, foreign material. What are some of the biggest mistakes they're making? Well, I think the biggest mistake that, that is being made these days has to do with, with not necessarily understanding the challenges uh, that that t- take place. Uh, there's, a, there's, a whole, there's a whole lot of opportunities for failures in, in the meat business. Mm-hmm. In, in the food business, and if you aren't aware of all the all the, the challenges that you, they underestimate uh, what's what's necessary to uh, to to uh, provide uh, good good processes and procedures. Uh, um, I, they, I also think that one of the major mistakes that uh, many companies do is that they 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 don't educate their their workers. Yeah, I I have a I have an approach that we 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 talk about training and we should train our employees, but no, you train animals, you educate people, and what you ought to have <laughs> is individuals that work with you mm-hmm. that understand the challenges, understand what they what they need to do. Uh, and, and why it's important to do the sanitation activities or the hand washing, the good manufacturing practices, whatever example you you want to have. Uh, in the food business, uh, and this this goes back to my friend Dave Steno, because Dave and I worked together in Eckridge. One of Dave's one of the Dave's thoughts of, of the, that he shared is that something like every day you bet the company's future on food safety. Every day you bet the company's future on food safety. And, and and that's very true. But on the other hand, many of those companies are betting that food safety with individuals at $15, $20 an hour that don't necessarily understand the ramifications of the failures that can happen if they don't do things the proper way. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's what I think is is one of our failures today is many of the big companies don't necessarily understand the challenges that they face and they don't necessarily educate the people that are out there every day working on the floor. That's a great uh insight. And the quote, is that your quote or Dave Dinas or both of you? <laughs> well you what I would audible Kent, that was at the bottom of my of my contact information. Every day you bet the company's future on food safety. Okay, and I had I had a I had a company president and CEO at that time uh, that he was I didn't interface with him very often, but we'd mm-hmm. pass in the hallway. 
And what he would say is, have we killed anybody today? And I said, no, <laughs> not that we know of. Yeah, and and that's the kind of the you, you, that, that's the kind of business that, that we're actually in because you never really know if there was a mistake that happened that could, could make people sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's an uneasy feeling, right. uh, but on the other hand, it's a tremendous challenge. I take it you wouldn't want anyone else to. I mean, you you were up for that challenge. You didn't want anyone else to have that responsibility. <laughs> In the companies in which well, you were the leader, they 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 seemed to believe what I what we were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, we had good people to implement the programs. We had a lot of good plant management people on the operations side that understood mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you make a great point about labor and personnel, and uh, how I love that. Also, you know, you train animals, you educate people. Um, and that sort of speaks to culture. Uh, sounds like you had a lot of um, your approach was fostering a culture of cooperation. And uh, well, so. a- absolutely. Uh, you, you have to to have that kind of a situation, and, and in particular in those last few years with with Orville Kent, I I would. I would tell my boss, I am the missionary that needs to go out and be in the plants and, and talk with the people and know what's going on. I, I can't, I can't do my job sitting here, you know, in wheeling at a desk. But I need to be out in the plants, being the missionary, to make sure that we understand and know what needs to happen, so that we've got safe products all the time. Right. Good stuff. So. Um... What are you up to these days? I know you have uh, your consulting business, Schwartz Consulting. What sort of projects are you taking on at this point in your career? Well, most most of my most of my consulting is with the individuals with the Refrigerated Foods Association that, that came to to know and understand, you know, my background and and they 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 get they call me. Uh, and ask ask for for help, and so you know, in the right situations, I'll, I'll go to their facilities. Primarily, it has to do with good manufacturing practices, has to do with the documentation side of of food safety. Uh, you know, the rodent and pest control programs, good manufacturing practices, uh, uh, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I also find uh, it interesting that overall, my 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 basic career, I worked in large companies, and I inherited food safety plans, and then we we grew them, we modified them, we we continue to enhance them. But now, with Refrigerated Food Association members, many of them are small or family-owned companies, which has a different dynamic than a corporate or type of a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have one opportunity that, that I've never had before, and that's a kind of a greenfield. One of the individuals that I'm working with uh, did not come out of the food business. He came out of the, the financial business, but he had this growing need to get into the food business and develop this process. Mm-hmm. Well, he had, he had no understanding. You know, like I said, he, we had to get a plant. We had to get the documentation together. You had, had to start from ground, like with a blank piece of paper. And I've never had an opportunity to, to work from a blank piece of paper before. So so that's one of the things that that's really has me motivated these days. Blank piece of paper and big budget? Or just... <laughs> well, it, 
He doesn't know how much it's going to cost, but he can, every every time we talk, he I didn't realize we had to do that. I didn't realize yeah. we had to do this. Well, yeah, you do because the Food Safety Modernization Act. You've got all these requirements, uh, and particularly if you want to deal with the major retailers. Uh, so, you know, you can do a mom and pop and, and maybe, you know, uh, have a farmer's market kind of an opportunity, but uh, but if you want to get into to the big to the the large retailers and large food service operators, then you have to have compliance with with a lot of rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah, it seems like there is quite a uh, a high a high bar to um, to surpass if you want to get into that into food production and manufacturing and distribution. Um, I guess that's good and bad in some ways. Well, that, that's right, and there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's just interesting for me uh, here in the Austin, Texas area, where we have so many food trucks. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to want to get into the food business, so they'll they'll get in a food truck and they'll they'll do a barbecue uh, on, on the side of the road, and some of them grow and a lot of them go away. Uh, but uh, that's that's a that's that's a whole different kind of kind of business. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs out there that want to make a product because it's their grandmother's recipe or whatever mm-hmm. else. And in a lot of ways, they they uh, they trouble me. Uh, I recently was watching one of the TV programs here in Austin from one of the local food operators that was making a hummus product uh, out of a <laughs> out of a kitchen area. Uh, and I just shook my head because there was no discussion about good manufacturing practices, no no discussion about hairnets and hand washing facilities and all the rest of this. It was all all about the product, and I was wondering about how they determined that it was a, a safe product to, uh, to to sell. But anyway, things like that continue to happen. Yeah, yeah, innovation, and then I guess you're in a sort of a hub of innovation and technology, and probably other ways. Um, I, I've worked with some folks in Austin um, with some really novel, great ideas in terms yeah. of how they're delivering food and beverage to consumers. And we continue to see a lot of these trends where new and different ways of different products or different ways of making products or even, um, you know, long-standing fermented foods like kombucha, things like that are yeah. now more and more popular and people are scaling them up to larger or even mass production. That's right. That's right. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting to, to watch the evolution that's going on in the food business, like I said, in the 40 years so that I've been around, you know, that was meat and potatoes was what I grew up with. And now hardly, hardly ever see the meat and potatoes kind of diet anymore. And, and one of the things that, it's one of the things that's intriguing to me is what's going to happen with cannabis. I, that's, you know, wow. I don't understand. Yeah. Have you taken on any food, food, cannabis, or CBD? Type <laughs> no, no, nobody's asked me yet. I'm, I'm not sure I want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. I, how, do you, how do you have an approved supplier program? Yeah. I, I don't know. How do you prove that it's right? I, I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, lots of lagging uh, things related to the industry is moving quicker than the than the the rest of it can keep up. So, yeah. Yep. Well, uh, so tell me about uh, what sort of a future 
do you see in terms of risks and food safety and, and what are we what are we not looking at enough in our food well, system? One one of the things that that I think we're, we're taking a risk on is you know, I was just I guess it's called home home meal home delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know we we have people bring food to our house and that that sort of thing, and I'm concerned about the you know many of the things that we we deal with with refrigeration is one of our one of our main. Uh, aspects of food food safety and i'm not sure how how home delivery uh, uh, it, it, to me that's one of the risks that i think that i think we're taking it we manufacturing plants and following the rules of times and temperatures and things like that then we put it on a truck to some distribution center. And in the main part, the distribution centers I've been in do the right kinds of things. But on the loading dock, how long is it on the loading dock? Uh, I don't know. What's the temperature of the loading dock? I don't know. And then you then you, you put it on a semi, they take it to the grocery store, to the back of the restaurant. One of the things that's so vivid in my mind is I was in, I was, at a conference in New York City, and I happened to look out the window about six o'clock in the morning, and across the street was a restaurant. And at that point in time, the the produce guy was dropping off the produce that was going to be used at that restaurant for that day, sitting on the sidewalk, or where the whatever particular produce it was. Mm-hmm. wasn't too long after the guy pulled away that one of the neighbors came along with the dog. <laughs> the dog decided that that was a good place to lift his leg. Uh, I was afraid I, you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, well, of course I was going to say that because some yeah. of this is a situation that, my gosh, people at the restaurants don't necessarily understand what what has gone on to get that food to them. Yeah. Uh, and others do. Believe me, others do. Uh I, I, I had a good long experience with the subway organization and how they how they treated those things, but and, and that happened because Charlie Cook got involved with with Subway's food safety program early on, and uh, there's there's no doubt that uh, that's an organization that, that understands about not putting the produce on the, on the sidewalk at six o'clock in the morning. Sure. So. Yeah, that some of us do like are we're geared to look for risks. And then many others, particularly the ones that start companies or yeah. or entrepreneurs or operations-oriented people, they don't think necessarily that way, and so they're missing things that we see. Yep, that's um, right. You 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 mentioned Charlie Cook, and then so that prompted me to think back to your uh, bio and how you were involved with Cook and Thurber audits through NSF. Right. That was, that was a really important change change in the industry. Um, thought we might want to chat about that for a minute too, because um, really today we have GFSI and so third-party audits follow all kinds of different schemes or, or right. formats. Right. Back then it was new. I think it was fairly new to have a, a defined food safety third-party audit, and it was Cook and Thurber, I think, the, the leader at that time. Well, yeah, in a lot of lot of ways it was because 
when 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 Charlie got disenchanted with working at, at, uh, at Oscar Mayer, uh, one of the things he recognized was that there was companies out there that that needed to have someone assist them. And Charlie put together a consultative kind of an audit, best practices kinds of things. And one of the major aspects that he had was the fact that the criteria would would change year over year because we got input from the auditors on best practices and and the right things to do in the facilities. But also one of the things that Charlie did beyond auditing himself was that he had individuals that worked with him as that had to have at least 25 years of industry experience. Wow. And you think about that. When people have that kind of experience and they're going into a facility to consult on food safety, on the best practices for good manufacturing, rodent and pest control, procedures, whatnot, that, that, that was quite a bit of difference. Uh, Silica was out in there. AIB was out in that arena, but their approach was was different. Um, mm-hmm. the, the point of difference that Cook and Thurber brought was the experience of the auditors and an ever evolving uh, uh, set of, of best best practices. I got involved because uh, at the point in his career, Charlie ended up selling that that business over to NSF International, mm-hmm. and they wanted. Some transition Charlie's consulting business into the NSF approach of, of, uh, of certifications, and that's when Hook and Thurber continued to go on. But I got involved with the Global Food Safety Initiative, as, as you said, the international approach, and brought SQF uh, auditing facility uh, practices into uh, NSF International. So that was one of the one of the highlights of my career is being able to not only work with the consulting kinds of audits, but also the certification kinds of audits. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. And I think that the industry, um, I was, in, I was working for a processor at the time that these came into, into bear and there was definitely this uncomfortable feeling that we had to show everything and allow these people in. And, but I think it would definitely, definitely a positive step forward in making more accountability and better outcomes food safety wise yeah yeah absolutely uh and and that's that's one of the one of the situations that this continues to trouble me and it'll probably never ever change but the difference between how usda has individuals in the plants when they see something that's wrong, they tag you up and you can't sell your product, you can't ship it or whatever, as opposed to the FDA approach that comes in and does an inspection, write a 483 on the observations, but it doesn't stop the bad habits from going forward. Yeah. So uh, I, have, I have a whole lot of difficulty with the differences between how USDA functions and how FDA uh, much more litigious the warning letters you read warning letters oh my gosh oh but yeah the things that things that they point out they should have been stopped right there on the spot but no they write they you know it, it's it's amazing to me how those two agencies could be so different in their approach to food safety absolutely i can't agree more and it and it causes me to wonder i should know this in europe um do they have in-plant inspection on a daily basis through the food safety authority or, or something? Is there? I 
I should know the answer. But. Well, the, I had an opportunity when I was there, Alina, to do some work with uh, the folks in uh, the Netherlands, in Belgium, uh, France, uh, and Spain. And there's a food agency, but it was really still all came back to the company's individual programs. Uh, it's, it's, I'll say it was a bit more like how FDA functions, but at that point in time, uh, there was a lot of ISO activity uh, going on, uh, and the beginning of, of HACCP, uh, the way it was involved with the codex approach. Uh, but uh, no, they, they don't have in-plant inspectors in those meat facilities that I was able to see in those in those countries that I visited. Yeah, certainly a more effective model, model I think. And I think I agree with you that having that accountability on a daily basis is really, really better <laughs> in terms of accountability and better outcomes. But you, when, I was, when I was with the folks over in, in Michigan at the Sarah Lee plant there, when, when, you got, when you got 14 acres under roof and USDA shut you down, you got a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. Rust, yeah. dust, and condensation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Not- not always easy to deal with that, and there's always there's never a perfect system. I'm, no, I'm sure you've faced um, challenges with that were that were not necessary, right? With that implant inspection. Well, yeah, exactly right. But on the other hand, the typically the USDA guys were willing to help and work mm-hmm. with you. Uh, I'm not saying FDA doesn't isn't willing, but they come at the, the task different because. They're, they're there to inspect against the, you know, the criteria for that product. Well, under the USDA side, there's, I say there's just a little bit more give and take and understanding about how things could be done. Well, we have um, kind of approached the end of our time together, but uh, I really do want to want to ask you before we go, um, what are your thoughts for those who are new to this career? or uh, students or early career professionals, what sort of advice would you give them? Well, you have to get involved with the organizations uh, of the kind of products that you're working with. But if you're if you're just starting in food safety, to me, one of the things that's a must is to be a member of the IAFT, International Association for Food Protection. Uh, you just, it's just, it, you know, when, it, it's the, the organization's, that, that deals with, with food safety. Uh, and you, you have to keep up to date. You, 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 and you need to learn that just because a, a college professor said something in one of the classes doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it really happens in the real world. Uh, I had an example where one of the people I was working with had a, had a, a semester of HACCP that they took. And then after they got into the facility and we started working with HACCP, they came to me and says, this isn't at all like what the, what the teacher told me. And I said, well, that's, that's the difference. So you have to get involved. You have to be able to, uh, you have to appreciate the, the background that the academic people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, the real action is out in the facilities. That's, 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 that's where the food, yeah, that's where the rubber hits the road. Right. Uh, so, uh, so, so, being a member of IEFT, I think you also need to make sure that you subscribe to the food safety news, the Bill Marler's uh, daily report. 
that's uh, that's keeps you up to date for sure. So those are what those are a couple of things I would say to people getting involved. Membership in IAF, IAF and food safety food safety news. Okay, well that's great. Thank you. So uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, engage well, on consulting or just on another basis? Well, I don't have any <laughs> I don't have a website. I uh, chose not to do that, but I've got a telephone number is 630-248-7706, and my mantra is the phone calls are free. <laughs> the uh, email address is wcschwartz at ameritech.net. Uh, I've got membership in IAFP, IFT, and American Meat Science Association. So if you're a member of those, you've got my contact information out there on, on those member websites. Excellent. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Schwartz, again, for making the time to do the podcast. Really appreciate talking to you. Well, well thank you. I hope it's, it's worthwhile. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety share insights. You can find more information about Aetna Consulting Group at aetnaconsulting.com. Our handle on social media is at Aetna Food Safety. Please follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, or whatever your podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to leave us a review. Until next time, think safe food.